Jesus. This has been kind of an interesting week, as all weeks are interesting. We had, had three colleagues, three colleagues in the United Methodist Church pass away. One of my good friends, the Reverend Dr. Mark Corse, who pastored last at Park Avenue and Stillwater, went to be with the Lord, and his dad was a Methodist minister, and Mark oftentimes would call upon me to cover for him when he was gone and did a number of funerals for him. And so do remember those, and Reverend Ken Reiners is recuperated from the loss of his wife. We want to welcome all those by way of television today and radio and other means of communication. Hear a lot of good reports about the television ministry and about the radio ministry and YouTube and other means that we come into your homes and get a lot of hits. And I guess I better explain that word hits. You know, the people are curious what's going on and we thank the fact that they appreciate our messages and our music ministry and all of our means of ministry may be small in numbers, but we're certainly great in quality. Our first opening hymn is Come Christians Join to Sing is Purple Hymnal 158 in memory of the Reverend Dr. Mark Horst family. Mark got his PhD out and went to Harvard, Harvard out in, on the East Coast, Harvard University. He was granted his PhD about the same time I did when I was working with Dr. Oro Strunk from Boston University. And Mark grew up at an area church here. His father pastored a new Toby very well. Toby was much older and as a father for Mark. And Mark was only 66, I believe, 66 years old, 67. But we uh, come and praise and welcome. Yes. Is that right? Well, that's interesting. Reverend George Groves, um, Pastor Toby. Uh, isn't that something? Wow. I, um, I remember a few funerals that I did for Dr. Horst, who uh, was one of the young. Um, it wasn't Prince, but it was one of the other popular musicians. And he was always capable of having um, popular athletes, football, Vikings players come, and they would um, for three days they'd have this musical festival and then they'd, they'd um, block off Park Avenue and you know have musical festivals and won many people to Christ so as you as we sing keep in mind that Reverend George um, Rose's uh, pastor he must have been quite young then too keep this in mind as we sing come Christians join to sing purple number 158 please if you'd like to stand, you may stand for the opening. Come, Christians, join us in purple 158, please. Alleluia, amen. 
has full shore, His goodness we adore, singing forevermore. Alleluia. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in our next hymn. is Have Thine Own Way, Lord Purple, number 382. Prayers for the Reverend Ken Reiner's family. Ken's wife passed away and Ken has been hospitalized, but he has been released for dehydration and a number of other factors and personal factors. We'll be seeing Ken, and I just thank God that Reverend George Groves was able to attend that service and represent all of that. So purple, number 382, please. Jesus. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we do remember the Reverend Dr. Mark Horst family. We thank you for his ministry, uh, his father's ministry at Brunswick, uh, next door neighbors, and 25 years ago or so, and as Mike, uh, Mark entered the ministry, and he became much more evangelical than his father. He was uh, on the board of leadership for the good news, good news. And in his latter years, he reached out to other denominations and other affiliations and religion. We always kind of wondered about Mark because he married a, a, a lovely young lady that always maintained her Unitarian faith. And I thank you, Father, for the opportunities to minister with Mark and fill in and coverage when he was on vacation and do funerals for Mark in the Horse family and for Park Avenue and Stillwater and various churches that Mark had served in and his legacy. I cannot recall if you go on his obituary page, there's some three pages of obituary and we just pray, Father, that he maintained those evangelical roots as he reached out and he somewhat had leanings and tendencies in the, in the Islam, Muslim faith, and he always reached out to those who he felt were under persecution. Just a few years ago, Mike Mark, as he retired, he went into art and, and painting and other means of ministry and made quite a following for himself and demonstrations of his paintings and literature. We remember the Reverend Ken Reiner's family as Ken has experienced a lot of grief and loss and family difficulties and health challenges and death of his wife. We thank you for the ministry that we've shared. Ken really appreciates the fact that we've 
been sending him bulletins and highlighting his name in the bulletins and remembering him in his prayers. Even though there's not a, a depth of relationship with Ken, I do attend ministerial retirement with Ken and others. Remember others in our TV ministry and radio ministry that have experienced confidential losses and, and they, um, they have a, a desperate need for stability in their lives and in their families. We thank you, Father, for blessing us this morning with the Reverend George Groves and we pray for Char Groves as they, as they travel and as they spend time with their children and grandchildren and grant them energy and stamina as they, they babysit for for their grandchildren as their children travel. We pray for other needs of our extended family and our congregation by way of television and radio and YouTube. And they may have problems financially or within family. We, we pray, Father, that you would continue to work in their lives. For This is a, a day of, of worship. This is a day of new beginnings. Uh, it's a time to... Uh, Remember and move on. Time to be to believe what love is bringing, laying to rest the, the pain that's that's gone. For by the life and the death of Jesus Christ, God's mighty Spirit now, as then can make for us a, a world of difference, because we see so much division and, and so much appearances of religiosity and we see so much chaos and confusion among our children as they go back to school and, and the great burdens that are placed on them with CRT and BLM and Father we just struggle our, our own in our own spirits our minds our bodies and our spirits as faithful and hopefully we are born again by your spirit and then let us with the spirit, the spirit's daring step from the past and leave behind our disappointments and our guilt and our grieving, seeking new paths sure to find. For Christ is alive and Christ goes to be, be before us to show us and, and share with us the love and what love can do. And this is a day of new beginnings our God is making all things new, all things possible. And in faith we'll gather round the table to taste and to share what love can do. This is a, a day of new beginnings. Our God is making all things new. And we pray for our, this, this church. This is like a, a church center. We pray for J-Hop and we pray for the gathering and we just pray for for the continual blessings that they bring to us, may we be a blessing to them. We pray for these needs and so many others that come across our, our minds. We, we ask this morning, Lord, that you particularly bless the scriptures. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, as we, as we count the cost, count the cost of following Jesus Christ. And we, we pray as always, as you've taught us to pray, sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, lectionary text. On my way to the church early this morning, I was listening to a Lutheran station, and, and he was expounding. This is a lectionary text. And Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and following helps us to be mindful of the the cost of our discipleship and the cost of following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word according to Luke chapter 14. 
verses 25 through 35. The cost of discipleship, and we also find this in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. Now large crowds, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And Jesus turned, and Jesus said to them, keep in mind, these were large crowds of people that were following Jesus. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, and does not hate, father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my Disciple, if you do not give up all your possessions. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can salt, how can its saltiness be restored? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pit. Pile, they throw it away. Let everyone who has ears to hear listen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Hey, good morning, brothers and sisters. Morning. When this scripture was written, we don't know exactly where Jesus was, but we do know he, where he was going. He was on his way to Jerusalem with the large crowd following him, of course. More than likely, uh, at least a small portion of the crowd exited after they heard him say the words he said. Because these words can be measly, easily be misunderstood, even today. I should say especially today. He said that if you do not hate your family in your own life, or if you don't carry your own cross, you could not be his disciple. This may sound harsh and confusing, but while saying this, he probably, like say, probably drove away a portion of the crowd. Seems to con he contradicts himself. Hate your family? What? He told us to love everybody. Those that left him after he said this were probably just following Jesus because of his celebrity. They weren't following Jesus because they knew him as the Son of God. The word hated he used here literally means loved less than another. A good example of this use is found in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God doesn't hate, but he can love less than this means that God loved Jacob more than he and chose him over Esau. The word hate used simply means, like I said, to love less than. We are to love Christ more than we love our natural relatives, and especially ourselves. But notice he, he did something here. He put him in order. He said, love your parents first, second word children, and yourself last. Christ must come first as our source and our master. He's always number one in our books. Should be. Fellow humans should come number two to the Almighty Christ. And like you say, ourselves come last. Then Jesus says that we must bear our own cross. What he meant by that, bear on cross, is holy living. The word holy means separate. It can only be good if you separate yourself or be holy, more holy than others here on earth. If we don't, we're counting his sacrifice for us as meaningless and of no account. If you truly love Jesus, this is the last thing you'd want to show others, and especially Christ. 
You may transpose the words, not my disciple, to not live conscientiously as a Christian with eager ambition. We dismiss Christ's work on the cross and the importance of, of it, both now and eternity, af eternity after, if we don't live like a Christian or the faith we, we talk with our mouths. Never place earthly possessions, never place their value above where Christ should be. Adding Jesus to a materialistic lifestyle while ignoring your spiritual needs is wrong. I, I'll never forget, in boot camp, if you didn't make your rack right, you didn't shine your shoes right, you didn't have your shirt tucked in right, you'd hear that. You're wrong! That's what it reminded me of. And if you don't put Jesus above everything else in your life, you're wrong. The proof of this is written up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Once again, that verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. We should consider ourselves indebted to Jesus and furthermore, use the body that he gave us to glorify him as God. We do that for his sake and our sake. More importantly, most importantly, his sake. The eternal cost of not faithfully following Jesus should consistently be the same for his sake. The eternal cost of not faithfully following Jesus is disgustingly and grossly enormous. If you don't have faith in Jesus, I don't need to tell you which way you go when you pass. But should we not, as, as perishable, model ourselves after the imperishable? For eternity's sake, it only makes sense. You want to live eternally with God and the man who saved you, Jesus Christ? You follow the rules. When Jesus says to forget all that he has, Jesus is telling us to dismiss our personal property and relationship in place, our faith and value and trust as well in him. Jesus Christ our Lord. Then tell you to abuse or neglect your family. That's wrong. That's evil. It says to place him number one. And just like a grain of salt without salty flavor is useless, Christians without the words and actions and nature of Christ, I'm sorry, you're useless to God. If what if you don't follow through with what you think and what you, what you say, you're useless. I don't need to explain that any further. If you claim to be a Christian without living, acting, and talking like Jesus would, you are useless like a salt, a grain of salt without saltiness. Don't be a hypocrite. God bless you all. Amen. Thank you, Brother, brother Frank. Amen. It's a great responsibility of bringing God's word to you. And as um, I um, view the obituaries of the three great colleagues just this last week, some much younger than myself, you, you realize that your stewardship of time when you're young is probably um, almost unlimited. And, you know, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, even in the 40s, it takes the 50s and the 60s and closer to the 70s that you realize you're not immortal, you're not imperishable, you're not irreplaceable. We learn firstly from this passage that true Christians, and I emphasize that word true, T-R-U-E, Christians, must be ready. We must be ready, if need be to, to give up everything for, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. Now, I, I had a friend when I worked in road construction before uh, my summer days, and he was always using the term for Christ's sake. But it wasn't like in the religious sense, you know, you've probably heard people say for Christ's sake. Well, when I'm talking about Christ's sake today, I'm talking about cost. 
the cost of disciple. This this is a lesson here, which is which is in, which is taught to you and I and remarkable. It's just remarkable language. It's it's so remarkable that oftentimes very few Christians really get into the meat of the study of this passage of scripture because it's almost like it leads to the reality of the cost of discipleship and they almost want to avoid that. Our Lord says if anyone, if anyone comes to me, you could put your name in there if Randy Tabor or use your name, if anyone were to come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and their own life also, they cannot be my disciple. Now, I, I had a depth of love for my father and my mother and respect, and sometimes they say it's because of being the firstborn or so. They never really had to scold you because you always knew kind of what you needed to do to please your parents, and you always wanted to please your parents. You didn't want to disappoint them. I can kind of remember one of probably the disappointments my parents had was when I was um, scheduled to go to um, one of the academies in Old Langman and promised me a position at any of the academies that I wanted to um, attend and I applied to all of them and was accepted and, and I chose the Air Force Academy but by vision I had to get a waiver because I, I kind of wanted to fly and that. That was kind of a great disappointment for me but you know God kind of realized that you know, I needed to go through the Jesus revolution in the 60s and accept Christ. This expression of, of scripture must doubtless be interpreted with some qualifications, and I think our brother Mike emphasized those. I just want to touch on a few more that we, we must uh, never explain to uh, any of scripture in, in such a manner to make it contradict one another. Our Lord did not mean us to understand that it's the duty of Christians to hate, to hate their relatives. This um, would have been to contradict the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment. And he only meant that those who followed him, Jesus must, must love Jesus with a deeper love even than their nearest and their dearest, nearest and dearest connections. You know, our, you know, our, I'm sure that you, you love your spouse, you love your children, you love your grandchildren, and as you take this passage of scripture seriously, you need to realize that Jesus, Jesus must come first with a deeper love even than their nearest and their dearest connections or, or our very own lives. He did not mean that it is an essential part of Christianity to quarrel, quarrel with our relatives and our friends, but Jesus did mean that if the claims, the claims of our relatives and the claims of Christ come into collision, the claims of relatives must give way. Now, our beloved pastor, Reverend George Groves, knows about that word collision because he's experienced it in many ways with recent vehicles. And um, thank God it's, it seems that through my life, um, deer and animals have been attracted to my cars and vehicles, so I've learned um, and developed great friendships with body shops. We must choose rather to displease those who love most upon earth than to displease one who died for us and made preparations for us in heaven and the cross, the cross. That should be our focal point. That should be our essence of life, the cross, the cross. Now, the demand which our Lord makes upon us here is, is peculiarly very stringent, stringent, and it's, and it's hard, searching. Do we love Jesus as deeply as our spouses, our parents, our children, our grandchildren. Experience shows both in the church at home and in the mission field abroad that the greatest foes to one's soul 
are sometimes those of our own house. If sometimes happens that the greatest hindrance, calculate the hindrances in your life, the greatest hindrances in your life in the way of our awakened conscience is the opposition of relatives and friends. Sometimes we like to vote in relationship to a certain political party rather than what that party stands for. Do they protect the innocent, the unborn? How is our moral conscience, how deep do our ethics and morality and our biblical belief go? The demand which our Lord makes upon us here is very peculiarly stringent and it's heartwarming, yet it is very wise and it's very necessary. One experience shows that both in the church at home and in the mission field abroad that the greatest foes to one's soul are sometimes those of our own house. And if sometimes it happens that the greatest hindrance, what is the hindrances in your life in the way of our awakened conscience to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit flagging and alerting us is the opposition of our relatives and our friends, ungodly fathers, our parents cannot bear to see their sons or their daughters taking up new views of religion. I was kind of a religious, you know, it, you know, freak, and they used it in a, uh, a kind of a proper way. We call, they call, call my generation Jesus freaks because we kind of broke away from the religious establishment. We weren't necessarily always coinciding with it certain doctrine and a certain church, and that may be somewhat the roots of my opposition even today with various denominations breaking away from the Bible. But I've always held the Bible, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience foremost in my theology. And experience shows you and I that worldly mothers, worldly parents, and I've seen many worldly parents they cannot bear to see their sons or their daughter taking up new views of Christianity, a relationship, rather than a religion, a relationship with Christ. And, and I've seen many of the worldly parents, they're vexed, they're truly vexed to see their sons or daughters unwilling to enter into the, all the ga gaieties, the gaieties of the, that the world has to provide. There's this collision course of, of opinions taking place frequently as sons and daughters find this new grace, this new peace in Christ enters into a family. And, and then comes a time when the, the true Christian must remember the spirit of our Lord's words in this passage. They must be willing to offend their, their family, offend their friends, rather than offend Christ, the line of duty. The line of duty, and that's why the scriptures refer to you and I, whether we're enlisted in the military or in the cause of Christ, that it's a line of duty in such cases is doubtless very painful. It, it's a heavy cross to disagree with those we love, and especially, especially about spiritual things. But those, but this, this cross is laid upon us and we must always remember that firmness and decision are true kindnesses. It can never be true love to relatives to do wrong in order to please them. And best of all, firmness accompanied by gentleness and consistency and courtesy in the long run of life often brings its own reward. Thousands of, of Christians will bless God, God at the last day that they had relatives and friends who chose to di displease them rather than, than displease Christ. Our children and our grandchildren learn very quickly where our hearts and our emotions lie. That very decision was the first thing that made them think seriously and led them finally to the conversion of their souls. And we, we learn secondly, secondly, from this passage that those who are thinking of following Christ should be warned to count the cost. Say it with me. Count the cost. 
Now this is a lesson which is intended for the multitudes who followed our, our Lord without thought, without consideration, and was enforced by examples drawn from, from building and from war. It's a lesson which will be found useful in every, every age of the church. It, it costs something, it costs truly something to be a true Christian, a true Christian. It, let that never be forgotten to be, to be just a mere nominal Christian and go to church is, is very cheap and it's an easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, to hear Christ's voice and follow Christ and believe in Christ and confess Christ requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins, our self-righteousness and our ease and our, our own worldliness, worldliness. And all, all must be given up. We must fight an enemy who comes against us with 20,000 and thousands of followers. We must build a tower in trouble, troublous times. Our Lord Jesus Christ would have us thoroughly understand that this, he bids us, he bids us to count Count the cost. And now, now, why did our Lord use that language? Did, did, did Jesus wish to discourage us, discourage us from becoming his disciples? Did Jesus mean to make the gate of life appear more narrow than it is? It is not difficult to find an answer to these questions. Our Lord spoke as he did to prevent us from following him lightly and inconsiderately from mere animal, animal feelings or temporary excitement who in time of temptations would, would fall away. Jesus knew that nothing, nothing does so much harm to the cause of true religion as backsliding. Backsliding. Or temporary excitement who in time of temptation would fall away. Jesus knew that nothing does so much harm to the cause of true religion as his backsliding, and that nothing causes so much as backsliding as enlisting disciples without letting them know what they take in hand. Jesus had no desire to swell the numbers of his followers by admitting soldiers who would fail in the hour, the hour of need. And for this reason, Jesus raises this warning, this warning flag and voice. He bids all who think of taking service with him to count the cost before they begin the journey. Well would it be for the church and the world if, if the ministers and the, of the pulpits and the pews of Christ would always remember that their master's con conduct in this passage Often, far too often, people are built up in self-deception and, and encouraged to think they are converted when in reality they are not converted at all. Feelings are supposed to be faith. Convictions are supposed to be grace. These things ought not so to be. By all means, let us encourage the first beginnings of religion in our soul, but never let us urge people forward without telling them what true Christianity entails and counting the cost, let us say to them, come with us. But let us also say, count the cost. Count the cost. And we learn lastly, lastly from this passage, how miserable is the condition. Miserable is the condition of backsliders and apostates. Apostates, a terrible position to be in. This is a, a lesson which is intimately connected with the preceding one, this necessity of counting the cost is enforced by a picture of the consequences of neglecting to do so. The person who has once made a profession of religion and has afterwards gone back from that profession is like salt which has lost its savor. Such salt is comparably useless. It's neither fit for the land nor fit for the dunghill but man, people cast it out. Yet this is a state that salt 
is a lively emblem of the state of the backslider. No wonder that our Lord said, he that hath an ear to hear, let that person hear. Father, this morning the truth, the truth which our Lord brings out in this place is very painful and very useful and needful to be known, that no person, be it remembered, is in so dangerous a state as the one who, who has once known the truth and professed to love Jesus and the truth and has afterwards fallen away from the Holy Spirit and from their profession of faith and gone back to the world. You can tell such a person nothing that they may not know already. You can show that person no doctrine that they have not previously heard. They, or that person has not sinned in ignorance like many. That person has gone away from Christ with their eyes wide open. They have sinned against a known and not an unknown God. That person's case is well nigh desperate. All things are possible with God, yet it is written in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses four through six, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Let us ponder these things well today. The subject is one which is not sufficiently considered. Considered. May we consider it. Let us never be afraid of beginning to serve Christ, but let us begin seriously, thoughtfully, and with due consideration of the steps we take. And having once begun, let us pray for grace that we may persevere and never fall away and with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians by way of television and radio and YouTube. Repeat these words. Dear Jesus, help us to be genuine in our call to the cost of discipleship. In Jesus' name. Counting the cost. As we take up, as the ushers come forward and take up the offering today, if you'd be so kind to join me in our prayer printed in our bulletin today, holy and righteous God, through your Son, you have called us to follow. The gifts we offer this day are only a small token of affirmation that we accept that call. If we embrace the full meaning of that call, we would give our whole being to the offering. In many cases, we've allowed ourselves to believe that a few dollars and an hour on Sunday is the cost of discipleship. Help us to stop fooling ourselves and consider the full cost of discipleship that means something, that is capable of transforming the world. By your grace and with the help of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let us turn now as the offering is taken. Turn to, in our purple hymnals, to page 295, verses 1 through 3 and 5, in the cross of Christ I glory.
Would you stand with me, please, for the doxology? Humankind nailed to that shameless tree, how vast his love was inclined to me. He bled and he died for you and I. And hark, he groans while nature shakes and earth's strong pillars bend. The temple's veil is torn asunder, breaks and solid marble rends. Tis done, the precious ransom paid. Receive our souls, he cries, and where he bows his sacred head, he bows the head and dies. But soon he'll break death's envious chain and in full glory shine. O Lamb of God, was ever pain, was ever such love like thine. As we go forth now, may we go forth in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bless those who have a particular need. We pray for the Borden family. Pray for other families that are experiencing grief and loss now. Dismiss us, O Lord, with your peace and your grace. Amen. Amen.